In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk about the Gospels, and I'm very excited. So we're almost at the end of our sermon series, The Bible in Seven Weeks, and it looks like this. So we made a little change. We had the letters before the Gospels, so let me orient you just a little bit. The Gospels come in between the prophetical books and the letters in your Bible. And the last prophetical book is the book of Malachi. And if you remember, God left the nation of Israel with a message, a simple message of repentance and belief in God's promise. And so then actually, between Malachi and the book of Matthew, uh, our first gospel, there's actually 400 years where God didn't directly speak to his people through a prophet. He didn't write anything down. And I was going to make a big deal about this, but it's been about 2,000 years since God has done that for us. So we kind of get where they're coming from. And so that's, this is where the Gospels pick up. And we call it the New Testament. Because the Gospels are about something special. And then after the Gospels comes the letters. Because in the letters, the Apostle Paul and other authors are explaining what's laid out for us in the Gospels. And what it means for our life. So here are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm excited Because the overarching theme of this series, the Bible in seven weeks, has been this. The Bible is about Christ. And today, all the Gospels are special because they're going to outline the life of Christ himself. We're going to get to see exactly what the Bible is all about in these four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so before we begin, I'm going to take you all the way to the end. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Gospels are about Christ. They tell the beautiful story about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of one person, Jesus Christ. And all the way at the end of the last Gospel, the Gospel of John, we hear this. And John lays out the purpose of his book, the reason he even bothered to write anything down. But these are written that you may believe, that Jesus is the Messiah. And here is the purpose of the Gospels. Here's what we want to focus on this morning. These are written that you may believe. And so today I want to think about our communication, how we communicate with other people, and also how we listen to things, how we read things like the Gospels. And so, before we begin, I want you to think about a story. Think about the craziest thing or the most unique thing that has ever happened to you. And I'm sure you're all thinking of something great. And it can also be something someone else has told you, just something out of the ordinary. And the first thing that comes to my mind takes me back to my first year of marriage. And I was still in college, and my wife and I were both sitting at the couch, and I was starving. So I asked her what's to eat, and we're having tacos. And I decided I wanted refried beans. It's one of my favorite things to have. But she didn't have them ready, so she gave me the opportunity to make them by myself, which for some reason up to this point I had never done before. So another thing you need to know um, before um, we get into this story is that our can opener was about as inexpensive as the apartment we were living in, which was just about a little bigger than a dorm room. And there are two steps, she said. 
You just have to open the can and heat up the beans. And I showed her. I took two steps and I made it a little more complicated. After a couple minutes futzing around with the can opener, I finally almost had it open and lucky for me, it was attached at two parts and they were exactly opposite each other. So naturally, I took out a butter knife and my thumb and I started prying away at it. And as you can imagine, my wife graciously reminded me this was a terrible idea. But as you could probably guess, 30 minutes later, we were sitting in the ER and I was getting five stitches on my thumb. I don't think we had refried beans that night. And so you might be thinking, not too crazy, maybe something you've done before, stitches aren't that uncommon, but here's where I might lose you. Not two weeks later, my thumb is still healing up, and this time we're sitting on the couch and we're going to have pasta, and Hillary's going to do it all by herself, and now she's up against a pasta sauce can and our can opener. We didn't buy a new one. She told me it was going to be okay, and then a few minutes later I hear her cry. But again, she says it's going to be okay. Dinner's on as normal. And wouldn't you know it, 30 minutes later, we're in the ER, and she's getting seven stitches on her hand. <laughs> Two weeks, 12 stitches, I still don't believe it happened, and maybe you don't either, but what could help you? Maybe if Hillary came up and ver verified my story, maybe you would all believe. Even better yet, we could both show you our scars from where our stitches were. So maybe you're probably thinking of something a little crazier than just 12 stitches. But how would you tell that story to someone else? Especially if it's really hard to believe, if it's something crazy. Sometimes things happen, and we don't even know if we can tell anyone else because it was so bizarre. When we think about Jesus' life today, everything you know about Jesus, and then you look at your life, I think we would all admit Jesus lived a more unusual life than any one of us. And now, think about this. How do the gospel writers present Jesus' life? How do they communicate this crazy, unusual story to us? And I think it's pretty similar to how you would tell your own story, about how you would listen to someone else's story. You tell them the facts. You just tell them the truth because that's all you have. So let's get into the gospels. Um, so first, I'm going to give you an outline of Jesus' life. What are the Gospels about? Now, Gospel is just an old English word that means good news. And so if you think about your life, what is good news in your life? Getting the day off, getting that promotion, not having to finish that project that seems so daunting, or maybe even just waking up and remembering that today is your first day of vacation. That's all Gospel means. It's good news, something that makes you happy, maybe brings you a little bit of peace. When we're talking about the Bible, you might know we're talking about something special, a special bit of good news. And it's, all, it's always the same in every book of the gospel. It's Jesus' life, what he came to proclaim, Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. It's a beautiful story, and each gospel outlines it for us. And it goes something like this. Um, they're all similar in these ways. Jesus was a man who was born in Bethlehem to a Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. He had a stepdad, if you will, named Joseph, and shortly after he was born in Bethlehem, they had to go down to Egypt to flee King Herod. After they came back, Jesus and his fam family, we know, lived in a town, a region called Nazareth. It was kind of obscure, and we don't know much about Jesus growing up. But then at about the age of 30, Jesus went on his public ministry. 
And this is what we know the most about. Jesus started proclaiming God's word. And here in the Gospel of Mark, the second gospel, we have the essence of Jesus' message. This was all he was proclaiming, his whole ministry. We'll start at verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. God's good news, God's gospel. First, repent of your sin and then believe what God has done for you. And then while he was going about his ministry, we know that at certain times he focused at certain regions and people tried to divide him up like that. But we do know that Jesus was also performing miracles. And you might know some of them, changing water into wine, healing the disease, bringing people back from the dead. And at the same time, he was um, giving a ministry to all sorts of different people. It didn't matter if they were rich or if they were poor, if they were well-educated like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or if they were on the bottom end of society, labeled as sinners and prostitutes. Jesus was speaking to everyone. This was his ministry to all. Repent and believe the good news. And then at the end, all the Gospels stop and pause at a special week, Holy Week. And we just had a sermon series based on that one week, a week where Jesus would enter into Jerusalem, triumphant, riding on a donkey, where he would clean, cleanse the temple and spend the whole day teaching anybody that would listen, a week when he was betrayed by one of his special 12 disciples that he chose to give the saved message to the world, a week where he would suffer and die at the hands of the Romans. And not only that, but be forsaken by his father. Be left to die on the cross. And then all the Gospels end in a similar way. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He is not here. And this is the simple story of the Gospel. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, a story we probably all know very well. And when we think about what the gospel writers were actually saying, they're trying to communicate just like we were, right? Just like we would tell our story to someone else. And now today, I don't just want to think about your own personal story, about something crazy that happened to you like slicing your thumb open. I want you to think about how you would tell this story about how you would communicate the story of Jesus to someone else. And are you willing to do that even though it might be crazy? Are you willing to lay out the facts like we went through just now? And lucky for us, we have four different gospel accounts. And we have four men who each chose an approach, chose a way to present Jesus' gospel message, the life of our own Savior, and so let's jump into them now. The Gospels. The Bible is about Christ. And first we have the Gospel of Matthew. Now who was Matthew? Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. So he was a Jew and he chose to communicate to a Jewish audience. And that makes his book kind of unique. And he was also a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he was in a unique position. So the Jews did not like the Roman government. And the tax collectors had the job of taking taxes from their own people, the Jewish people, and giving them back to the Roman government. So you're already not off on a good foot. And on top of that, they also had a unique position in that they could easily steal money from people by claiming that they owed more tax than they did. 
which, um, as you might remember, happened in the book of Matthew when he talks about Zacchaeus. Matthew was a tax collector. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, was also a tax collector. Matthew's sure to record that. But that doesn't matter to him because he was one of Jesus' disciples. He saw the life of Jesus firsthand, and so he chose to communicate that. But Matthew, for us, might be a little daunting because what makes him unique is this. Matthew connects Jesus to the Old Testament. And he does it in two different ways. Something unique about Matthew is that he brings up many of Jesus' teachings. You probably know the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And in essence, all he's doing is he's communicating the Old Testament laws and he's explaining them to this new generation. He's, and so Matthew is sure to record this because Jesus is very connected to the Old Testament. And he does it in a different way. The Old Testament. Time and time again, Matthew says things like this. All the way at the beginning of Matthew, even in chapter 2, he says, where he stayed until the death of Herod, that is, Joseph and his family. And so was fulfilled the Lord, what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. So time and time again, if you take the book of Matthew and page through, he's constantly referencing the Old Testament. And why? Because Matthew was writing for a reason. He was writing so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the very one that God had promised in the Old Testament. And we've been through the whole Old Testament in our series, and it's all pointing to one man. So I think it's fitting that Matthew comes right after the Old Testament, because all he does is connect it um, to the prophecies and to the things that we've learned. It's written so that we can believe Jesus is the Messiah. And that brings us to Mark. And Mark is a little bit different. Much of the, what they have is the same, probably because Mark um, wrote very close to Matthew. And so much of the content is going to be the same, but Mark chooses a different approach. Mark goes at about 60 miles an hour, or because we're in Colorado, about 85 miles an hour. And he chooses to do the same thing, but he glosses over some of the boring parts to him, and he's going to hit the action parts. He stops at the action. What do you think most of the action in Jesus' life is? His miracles. So if you want to read a fun book, it's the shortest book because he's going so fast and he's got the most highlights, the most amazing things and he's going at this as fast as he can because he wants you to believe that Jesus has power. He goes fast and he wants you to explain that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. We can believe who he is because he follows through on his word. He has the power to perform miracles. He has the power to forgive sins. And so he also highlights something else. Mark highlights suffering. So he's a, a man of action. He highlights suffering. Suffering in Jesus' life and suffering in your life. And because of what Jesus did, we can know that he has the power over our life too. And that brings us to the gospel of Luke. And what like, makes Luke unique is that he was a Gentile. Or, yes, he was a Gentile. The other writers were all Jewish people writing to mainly an audience of Jewish people. So if Matthew kind of intimidated you a little bit, you're not sure if you want to page back to the Old Testament and see if it actually was the prophecy, you might want to read Luke. He was a Gentile writing to a non-Jewish audience. And what makes him unique is his detail. He takes the time to explain those Jewish customs. He takes the time to explain things we might not understand 
because we don't live in a Jewish world, and to explain why they mean something to us. And we see the detail in his description. Not only was he a Gentile writing to Gentiles, but he was also interested in coming up with the facts. You see, he might not have been around for Jesus' whole ministry, but this is what he did. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. A careful investigation of everything from the beginning. So Luke is one of our longer Gospels, and it's because he takes the time to write down details, details that weren't in Matthew, details that weren't in Mark and why. You see, these things were written so that we may believe. It's apparent that Theophilus knows all of these things, but why does he write? So that you may know with certainty of the things you have been taught. And so Luke is something that we study. Because it's given the most detail, it's something we often look to. And you might be familiar with Luke's Christmas account. It's the longest account of Jesus' birth, even though he might be the furthest removed from it. And it starts like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken, and you probably could finish the whole story. Or maybe you don't have to admit it, but you might be more familiar with this. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree. And why is Luke taking the time to do this? So that may, we may know with certainty that these things are true, that Jesus' life actually happens. And that brings us to the Gospel of John. And John is completely different from Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And not in, and not in the person he is. Luke was a Gentile, but in how he writes. You might know this, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, which just means that they're similar. And John is in a different class. And this is why. See, John was a special disciple. John was in a special group of disciples who were close to Jesus. They saw things that even the other disciples didn't get to see. They were part of conversations that the other disciples didn't get to hear. And so what John does is he takes the opportunity to fill in some of the gaps. Some of the accounts that Matthew, Mark, and Luke might not have known of. Some things they didn't get to include, and these are usually more conversational. Not so much action, but intimate moments with Jesus, where he got to explain deep things to his disciples. And we see it already in the first part of John. He doesn't start with a genealogy of where Jesus come from, how he was descended from David. He doesn't start with a Christmas account. He starts from God's perspective. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. You see, John looks at things differently. He sees the bigger picture, and he writes much later than the other gospel writers, and maybe this is why. But if you were going to pick up a gospel and read it through this week, I would suggest the Gospel of John. Not only do you get all of Jesus' life, but you also get intimate moments, conversations with Jesus, like John 3.16, one of the most popular passages in the world 
And it comes after a conversation that isn't recorded in the other Gospels, a conversation with Nicodemus. And afterwards, John gets a chance to explain how his conversation with this one Pharisee meant so much for us. And it's in John that we also get the theme for all of the Gospels. These are written so that we may believe. Why did John bother to write anything down? He wrote it down for us. That we can believe what he said was true. That we can know that Jesus' life did happen. And reviewing the Gospels, I think, is always a good thing for us. I don't think it shakes our faith. I think it strengthens it, right? But as we look at how we communicate, as we review the things that Jesus did, as we hear about the miracles, miracles recorded in the Gospel of Mark, the profound things Jesus has to say in the Gospel of John, all the details recorded in Luke, does it change how you would communicate this message to someone else? Or at times, do we still doubt that someone else can believe the things we believe? At times, do we wonder if it's enough? You see, the amazing thing about the Gospels is that we have four different Gospels, four different men writing at four different times, and yet they have incredible accuracy. Remarkably, they record the exact same story without any conflict. The amazing things about the gospel is that they outline how Jesus fulfilled every one of God's prophecies. And as pastors mentioned in the prophetical books, people have looked at it and said it's a mathematical impossibility, and yet we see it happen in the Son of God. We see the miracles and the witnesses, but does it change your confidence? Or do you at times still doubt that message? Doubt that you can communicate it properly to someone else? You see, the Gospels don't just record facts. I don't think they just record the outline of someone's life. I think they record something even more amazing. You see, when you're telling a story, you're communicating with someone else, when is the time that you can trust them the most? I think it's when they're vulnerable. How many of you believe the story I told in the beginning? Show of hands. Nice. Okay. So I got most of you. And it's a true story. And I'm glad you believed me. But what might have helped? I think it's when you get when somebody is the most vulnerable. When they tell you something embarrassing. That's when you can make a connection. That's when you can trust because someone's not going to make something up that puts themselves in a bad light, right? If I was making up a story about myself, I think it would be a little more grand than sitting in an ER and getting five stitches. I think the same thing can be thought of when you're looking at the Gospels. The Gospels don't just give us an amazing story of someone's life. They also give us a special message a message that we looked at in the Gospel of Mark. Repent and believe the good news. You see, this message is tough for us. When you really look at it, when you really think about what Jesus was saying, as, as you can see in Jesus' life, when you read the Gospels, this message didn't always fall on accepting ears, did it? You see, repentance implies something dark. Something that can be hard 
even, even for us to accept. It implies that we're sinful, that we've wrecked our relationship with our God, that we need someone to help us, that we've wrecked our relationships with each other, that we no longer have any peace. You see, Jesus' message of repentance isn't necessarily attractive, but he didn't care about that. The gospel writers didn't care about that because they wanted to face reality. They wanted you to face a reality, a reality that you can't have help but notice in the gospel, that we are all sinful. That there's a dark part inside of us all and you know exactly what it is. You know exactly what it feels like and what might be hard for us to accept is we can do nothing about it. But you see, the Gospels have a different message. The Gospels mean so much because they put that ugly reality in front of us and they give us something else. Believe the good news. You see, Jesus chose to be his most vulnerable in front of us. Jesus to chose to put his biggest message, his greatest act, as his own death. And nobody who's lying to you, nobody who's trying to fool you would fool you with their death. You see, because Jesus' death means that we can have life. Jesus' death means that this reality of sin, this reality of our need to repent is put on his shoulders. That he's done away with all of our sin. The entire price we paid, your sins are forgiven. You see, that's the good news. That's the good news of Jesus' life, the good news of Jesus' death, the assurance that he rose again on Easter morning. That's what the gospel writers wanted for you, not just an amazing story to fascinate people with miracles and prophecies, but a different kind of message, a message that forces you to look at the reality, the ugly reality you have, a message in which Jesus takes that reality on himself and completely does away with it. And now our theme, the purpose of the Gospels, might mean just a little bit more. But these are written. All of these things that I've recorded, Jesus' life, Jesus' message, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament, the one we look forward to seeing again, the Son of God, and that by believing all of these things, you may have life a new life now, forgiven of sin, a life forever with him in heaven. In his name, amen. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, Son and Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us today and thank you most of all for giving us your gospel. That good news that the Bible is all about, that your son, Jesus Christ, came to die. Came to die for our sins so that reality that we are faced with might be done away with, that a new reality might be given to us, the reality that we are your dear children. Help us when we read the Gospels always to remember this and help us to communicate this message with others because it's a message they need, because it's a message we need. In your name we pray, amen.